you get a city, you get a mini Trump, and he's you know, and he's just like, we got to build that wall. Yeah, just build, the wall, build the wall around the city. It, build the wall around that- the city. But at the end of the day, none of this stuff works very well because they don't have any money. They're just a small city, right? Or right, you get it doesn't this kind work of, well this, yet. Maybe it becomes a community thing. They all get together and they build their wall together, and it becomes a community bonding thing. Oh, yeah, right? that's uh, so nice. <laughs> Sunday building the, the wall. Yeah, Sunday's build the wall day, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, bring your own bricks. Hello and welcome to One Weird Thought with Kiran and Vijay. I am today's host, Kiran. And with me, I've got Vijay. What's going on, Vijay? Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm uh, looking forward to uh, today's discussion. And uh, before we forget, Kiran, um, uh, remember our members do come to us for news. And, uh, oh, it's I the news, news segment. Today. Perfect. Go yes, for it. Yes. And, and last week you had challenged me to come in with news animal related. And yes. I feel like I've really hit this out of the park, Kiran. Because not only have I come through with some of this animal related, I'm sure you read about this because it must have been all over the Peruvian news. Uh, and that is that uh, last week uh, in Peru, the Parasutus colossus was discovered. It's a giant whale that lived almost 40 million years ago and is now thought to be the heaviest animal that has ever lived. Now, obviously, you're asking the question, how heavy is it? Um, according to the study, um, it's 375 tons. How many blue whales is that, Vijay? Do you know? Uh, I can, Does it say? you know, Karen, uh, because we're in the US, we don't do metric. Uh, we do school buses. So it's oh, we 35, do school buses. Yeah. And it's 35 American school buses. 35 school buses. That's wild. Yeah. And Vijay, I'm ignorant in, of all news. So even Peruvian news, I I had no idea this happened. So I'm, thank you. I'll be sharing this okay. news with, with the people I meet tomorrow. Um, because I, I find myself in Lima. I am in the capital ah. city of Peru. Uh, we got here today. So um, I'm sure it's it's all anybody will be talking about. I think so. Um, it, you know, and you'll people be were buzzing about some whale-related news. So now, now no. I know. Thank you so much. Hundred percent. You're in. Um, <laughs> so that concludes the news news segment. So this week, Kieran is in Lima. You said right. Yeah, that's right. And now, is is this where we get the bean from? Is the Lima bean from Lima? You know my. My father asked me the same question, and uh, I told him it was the lima bean, Vijay. It's not the lima bean. What? <laughs> Is lima the British pronunciation? I've never heard it called a lima bean. Remember, I've lived here for 39 years, Karen. I've lived in the U.S. longer than you've lived in the U.S. Oh, man. I'm uh, going to get my... This is going to be egg on my face. My dad's going to call me up and say, I knew you were wrong. And we, I, we need I, to research this now. We're going to have to find the, the pronunciation of the bean that is similar to the capital. It, but it let is me also confirm. known yeah, as the butter bean. Apparently. Butter bean. 
But let me confirm that I have not. I am yet to see that bean in Peru. Ah, see, it wouldn't have been funny if, like, you had gone on a quest to Peru to seek the lima uh, to seek the lima bean. Yeah, because you wanted the freshest OG lima beans that you could. Only and you don't you don't find them. Did yeah. you figure this out? No, I'm still looking. Wait, um, I know I know how to read Lima, like the pronunciation guides. Although the name, oh my god! Okay, VJ, it's yeah. the lima bean. But but what's funny is, what's funny is they are named after the city of Lima. <laughs> Where they used to be, so, a, so where in, they were in Peru is in Peru is the city of Lima pronounced the city of Lima. I'll, the usage note is saying although the name of Lima, Peru is pronounced Lima, and the beans are named uh. after the city Lima, in the beans name it's pronounced Lima. Wow! And I'm, I'm looking up Wiktionary, and you can't argue with that, Karen. You can't argue with that. And VJ, well, VJ, this is both. Yeah. UK as well as US pronunciation. So I wow. think you need um, new friends. You know who... what? I need more educated friends. Clearly. <laughs> um, no. Or maybe yeah. maybe they've they've been chuckling behind their back as you've been saying Lima for the last 39 years. Every time it comes up in conversation, there's a chuckle and I never understood why. And never... now I know. <laughs> now I know. But you, you know, know what I every, like about this? Every day, you know, you say... Lima bean. Yeah, of course. It's a common usage word. But you know what I like about this is like we were both wrong in substantial ways. Yeah, yeah. And and it's you know like, what? We're, we're, we're better for it. Yeah, we, we're both a little bit more educated now. That's right. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some testing with some colleagues tomorrow to find out where they sit on the Lima Lima scale. Yeah, yeah, I think you need to do some testing, and I, I will do some testing as well. And we should report back uh, to our listeners next week. So, yeah. join us next Karen, week I for actually, the Lima-Lima test. Yeah, so one of the key things, Karen, is can you find out if you can get good Lima beans in Lima? Yes, that is part of this challenge. I'll, I'll do my best, VJ. Um, and can you, frame, can you frame the response in the form of a limerick? Now you've, you've gone too far. You've gone too far. <laughs> You're asking too much of me. <laughs> or a limerick. Or a li oh my gosh. Oh, okay. Well played. Well All played. Right. All right. Well, that, that was quite the transgression. That's right. I almost feel like ending the pod right now because we've, we've clearly hit the peak. But uh, listen, we haven't introduced the idea. And today I'm the host no. because I had the weird thought. And Vijay, today's weird thought is not exactly one weird thought, but it has a, a general theme. But it's actually three weird thoughts. And I'll hope, well, hopefully we'll more value. Uh, we provide our listeners with more value every week. So I thought, yeah, three weird yeah. thoughts for the price of one. The first one is fairly, fairly straightforward, Vijay. Um, and I'll, I'll describe the idea. And then let me kind of frame the through line of the entire of the entire series so the first idea is there should be no private lakes i'm morally ethically and economically opposed to private lakes and 
I don't know exactly how this will work in practice because there are fairly huge lakes and there are people who build their houses on the banks of the lake. So while the lake itself is not private, if you get enough private residences lining the lake, you're effectively limiting access to the lake. So I actually think there needs to be, you know, some sort of public ground between the, the, the lake and maybe 10 feet in. That land cannot be owned. So if you kind of have a house that's like up against the lake, your yard still has some public land that people can kind of like dock at or maybe run through. So we have like a running or walking path along every lake. Um, okay, so that's the why. idea. But why? So the idea here is we have the money and freshwater lakes, and I'll, I'm limiting this to, I think you, a lake is freshwater, is the, the most symbolically free thing. Like water should be free and jumping in a lake or jumping in a river is one of the most freest expressions of humanity that I know of. And it's an antidote to what I view as the over-commercialization of the world. So I, and th this is where the, the through line idea comes from, right? I don't know how, I'm not super well versed with this, but I just read Francis Fukuyama's landmark essay um, about the end of history. He wrote this, I think, 20, 30 years ago. And he basically posits that liberal democracy is the, the end point of history. Now, a lot of politicians after that, most notably Bill Clinton, um, I would assume like a lot of the Republican side as well, they believe that the end of history points to the fact that we have achieved um, basically end state with neoliberal politics. And I, I don't mean, I don't think neoliberal is a derogatory term. I think it's been used in like a polarized way. Like some people love it, some people hate mm -hmm. it. Um, and I'm just beginning to get a better understanding of neoliberalism. So I don't mean it in a derogatory way. And I, I think public lakes is an antidote to the overcapitalization of the world. Your, your idea reminds me of the national park kind of movement. Yeah. Right. And um, this seems in a similar vein. And one of the things that's interesting about national parks is if you look at some of the biggest proponents of them, they're, they're Republicans. Like Nixon did a lot on that front. I think Reagan did as well. Um, so it seems like it could be one of the things as a society that we all agree on. You know, like mm -hmm. there should be these spaces which are for all of us, you know, and, um, you know, yes, you know, there's this kind of practical matter, like there's some people living there right now. Um, yeah. And it would happen gradually, right? Like you would, you, I'm not saying, you know, tear down, take away land from all the people who own land. I just mm -hmm. think, and this is something I actually ran into in Bali, which really irritated me is, all these like private beaches have sprung up, yeah. which limit yeah. access to the ocean. So they're yeah. literally yeah. not allowing people, like the actual residents of Bali, 
they can't go and see the ocean except through these beautiful temple areas. And the temple areas mm-hmm. are, you know, there because I think they like their ancestors uh with a lot of foresight realized that people need access to the to the ocean. And mm-hmm. um you know, they have good public land that is built mm-hmm. th- by the temples. Um and yeah, so they all have access to the ocean. But because there's so many private uh villas private uh holiday resorts as a t- even like as a tourist because i wasn't staying at one of the resorts it you know you'd have to walk 30 45 minutes just to get access to an ocean that you can see and you're not allowed through the resorts right if you're not, if you're not staying there mm-hmm. so it's kind mm-hmm. of like this mm-hmm. very frustrating situation where it's like i can see this but i cannot mm-hmm. go and walk there because of you know nominal private beach access Mm-hmm. Well, you, you know what, um, as you were talking, one of the things that struck me was, you know how, uh, with the Native Americans, um, they were moved from their land mm-hmm. to some other land, right? And maybe we could do the same thing with people with beachfront properties. We could just relocate them and you just relocate them to somewhere terrible, you know? <laughs> um, Listen, you I know you like equipment. sand. We're going to take you yeah. to the desert where there's also sand. Yeah, yeah, it was the same thing. And now you don't have to worry about your sand getting wet anymore. Exactly. (laughs) The driest sand. um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive beaches. Beach as far as the eye can see. (laughs) Beach as far as the eye can see. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) And, and, yeah, you know, sometimes I wonder if, um, you know, I've just finished finally reading The Jungle. And, you know, he, he talks about how, you know, there was a socialist movement briefly in the US, you know, in the, in the kind of early 1900s. And he, there's this real anger towards, uh, towards the elite, right? And we kind of see that, especially on the Republican side, right? So you could kind of almost use that to kind of like displace these people and move them inland, almost out of resentment, you know. Uh, like a, as a way of getting them back, you know, for holding us down. <laughs> yeah, you could. You just tap into the regular resentment of the people. I, yeah, always a solid move. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, so that's the first idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the second one is kind of the same. It's, again, it's like the same through line, right, of maybe let's try and figure out ways of making more public useful land. And as I've been traveling around South America, I really enjoyed how when the Spanish conquered cities, right, they created these city centers, uh, they, which they usually stored their arms in like their armaments, all the guns and cannons and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they called it Plaza de Armas. So every single major city that I've been to has a city center with a Plaza de Armas. And this manifested itself many years ago as, you know, a large square with maybe like a fountain, some trees, but surrounded Mm. on all sides by major government buildings, as well as the armory. And oftentimes Mm. a very, uh, uh, a very imposing Catholic church, right? Like the the Spanish were pretty big on Catholicism. So there's usually a, they're really into it. So uh, when, 
What I've been seeing is that this city center is actually very important for city life, right? Like mm. it's, there's mm. always people there in the afternoons and evenings, mm. a lot of trade and, and market. So there's a, a lot of vendors, a lot of commerce that happens around the sides. And then a mm. lot of the land around that city center is owned by the city and it's just given out as leases. Now, if I contrast that to some of the downtowns I know in the United States mm. and, and India, because most of the land is privately owned, um, it's difficult to make major changes that require large-scale organization. And the one piece mm -hmm. that I think is really that a lot of American cities are going to struggle with recent, uh, that has happened recently is the movement of offices, right? Mm -hmm. Most of downtowns of all these major cities are office buildings. And mm -hmm. it previously... A lot of the businesses there, a lot of the foot traffic all came from commutes. And mm -hmm. after COVID, these businesses have been gutted. And so there's over a billion square feet of empty office space in North America, which is just a mind boggling number. If you also, yeah. you know, if you see that there's X number of people who are homeless, there are, uh, people are struggling for space and we have a billion square feet of electrified water there's utilities um mm. well, a lot of them are air conditioned like just usable space that is empty because no one wants to go and so um be housed in downtown in, in your world then kieran like because that space is owned by by the people right and and managed by their government uh, on their behalf we could do the obvious and say hey people have nowhere to live that's what we're going to use this space for Is that, is that the implication? Yeah, and I, I realize that's extremely idealistic, but yeah, in effect, like that's what I'm saying. I would say mm -hmm. people, the office building owners, like let's say you're signed into a two, uh, a 30-year lease with the government, but now this building mm -hmm. is empty. You've paid a lot of money for mm -hmm. this. So now the government mm -hmm. shows up and is like, hey, things are not going as you planned. Why don't you take mm -hmm. a pretty big, pretty big haircut <laughs> Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll pay you some amount of money and the, and you know, the city government would have to take out a loan, I'm assuming to buy back the lease rights from the people they've sold mm -hmm. it to, but then that's possible. They can buy back the lease rights. Then they can start like chopping it up into smaller residential buildings potentially, or, um, and I have this like really crazy idea that in the future, like hundreds of years from now, which I think should be a one weird thought of its own. I'll, I'll flesh this out later we will have massive skyscrapers that produce food for like all of our farming will be vertical and at the center of the city. So I don't there, think that's like a, crazy, but I think it'd be fun. There, there's a guy, you know, he, he, he's a CEO of a company who does vertical farming. Yeah. Um, and it's real, man. Like they're doing it. Like they're do And there's, you know, lots of upside to, to doing the farming close to where the people actually live. Right. Right. And by, by doing it this way, like in these hyper control conditions, like the yields are much, much better. Right? And it's much better for the, for the environment, right? Because you're much more precise with your use of water and fertilizer and things like that. So I think yeah, there's a lot exactly. of value in that. So much value um, in vertical farming. And so I could see land like this being reclaimed for vertical farming. If you don't want to have residential mm -hmm. structures that are like 50 stories high, mm -hmm. but it could yeah. be good, cheap, like real estate. 
I, I think if you reimagine government and remind government that its job is to serve the people, not just not just capital, yeah. right? This could be a really powerful concept, right? Because then you say, okay, yes, you know, this land has been used in this particular way for a certain period of time, but the people's needs have changed, and therefore, whether you like it or not, it's now going to be used for something else. Yeah, right. Um, the the concern I would have on that front is um, if if you are the owner of the capital, I'm, I'm very Upton Sinclair now, right? Very socialist about this all now. Right? Okay. So if you are the owner of capital, because he says capital a lot, um, then you would be reluctant to invest in the place where your investment, your investment could just be taken from underneath you all of a sudden. No, but it can't be taken, right? It's still a contract at the end of the day. You, the, the the difference is they don't own the land. There's a lease with a termination clause. Right. And so I think one of the important clauses would have to be if you don't maintain 50% yeah. occupancy or 30% occupancy, then you can be bought out for, you know, a mm. percentage of your money. And that's like some, that's a risk you have to take. What's, what's I, problematic, I, like, I think, with the economics yeah. today is like, even if your, your building is 100% unoccupied, which many buildings mm. are facing, they mm-hmm. don't they don't feel the the need to sell or they cannot sell because they would be asking too much of a price uh the, mm-hmm. the prices are too mm-hmm. high in downtown so it's like none of this makes sense like the economics don't work out for them to sell so okay so so now you have this you, you have this lease right in in the uk you see a lot of 99 year leases yeah, yeah right yeah. right you, see so that you have this lease Right, so you see, as this lease, which is effectively forever, right? And so, um, but now, what's interesting is in your world, like there is an escape clause mm-hmm. for the for the landlord, right? It's okay, uh, you know, for this cost, I can get you out in this time frame. And and this is why it's actually beneficial to both, and mm. it might actually work out better, right? So, uh, yeah, you know, what I worry about though. I worry that you know, if you look at, for example, like the battle over HQ two. Oh right? my God. Or like the peanut buttering that you see in, uh, with defense contracting, whether what would end up happening here is we'd give these guys large tracts of land with these 99 year leases for, for practically no money because they're bringing jobs, you know? And so effectively like our treasury gets robbed, right? Our community treasury gets robbed yep. right? of, of these resources. Because the other cool thing about your, community ownership is that's a source of income for the community. Exactly. It can be used to fund like kind of good things. So that, I think that's a good segue to our third weird thought, Vijay. And this isn't a new idea, but I think the extremity of it makes it the weird thought for this week. Um, I, I think the city government should be like 10 times as important than the federal government, maybe like 100 times more important. And the state government is in this weird halfway spot. So maybe like state governments matter in some way. But I really do think you sh- everyone should know their mayor. And mm-hmm. things like what you just discussed, where it's like um, we give huge subsidies to corporations so that they can come to our city. Like That's mm-hmm. something if you don't like it, you can go see the mayor and be like, this is insane. Um, so city halls uh, become more important. What, what's funny is like, major cities of today and this is kind of coming from 
two weeks ago, I did the analysis of cities. Mm. Our cities of today are basically as big as entire countries or like massive regions of, you know, 50 to 100 years ago. The city of Seattle has a population that's bigger than, um, the city of Seattle has a population that's bigger than the United States was when it was founded, right? So like wow. things like that are happening and we should have a, mm. a layer of accountability that doesn't exist. And this, you, you, you know, what's interesting though. So our, our local city government is pretty, um, it's pretty crazy. Like, like, uh, accused of being a town hall meetings. I've, I think I've attended some as well, I think. Um, and even though they're elected officials, yeah, they actually don't do what we want them to do. Like generally speaking, like the people of, of Samaj are fed up and they're fed up because people keep moving into the city. Even me now that I've been here 10 years, I too feel the same way. Right. Uh, even though when I moved in, you know, everybody should have stopped moving in after I moved in. Right. And so, um, and the reason why they're fed up is because the infrastructure can't keep up yeah. uh, with uh, with all the people that are moving in. So if democracy was working at a local level, if we don't want more people to show up, yet more people show up, what happened? Like, Yeah, that's an interesting problem where city <laughs> economics don't seem to be... Because Vijay, let's be honest, Sammamish is kind of a suburb, right? It's it's suburbia. So it is very much. The problem with suburbia is apparently the land use is uneconomical because mm -hmm. the road maintenance, plumbing maintenance, all of that put together. Uh, if you compare that to a more intensive use like downtown of cities, smaller. Mm -hmm more compact areas where there are many yeah. residential plus like mixed use layouts with residential yeah. and businesses. Like that's a far more economic use of land. And so you only have to maintain, you know, 10 square miles of roads. Whereas for like a sub suburb, you'll have to maintain a hundred yeah. square miles of roads for the same amount of money. Yeah. I guess it's the population density thing, right? Like kind of like for one mile of road, you get to squeeze in many more people in it. In yeah. a more urban area than you do in our area. Yeah, I could see that. But, but you also need yeah. like high density uh, residential yeah. mixed yeah. use areas. But like, I don't think yeah. Sammamish is built for that right now. <laughs> We've got this area that's trying to be more hip, you know, yeah. and it's kind of got a bit of a kind of mixed use vibe to it. Right. Um, hey, there you go. But, 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 you know, the fundamental issues, it actually would have been worse if they'd gone high density. Much worse, because even with our low density right now, the schools are way oversubscribed. Like they're using temporary buildings, they're using like closet space. Like they're, they're, it's insane. Right? There's, there's just literally not enough space to put, right? To put, uh, put all the students. Right. And that, and, that's what I find funny, and I, I do think it's stemming from your city just doesn't have enough money. Where, whereas Sammamish is an in incredibly rich neighborhood right it's probably one of the the one percent of the united states in terms of cities um if i were to go yeah, it, it, per capita it, it is income right. right yeah yeah it's it's uh it's kind of a two-tech uh income you know 
it's a two nice. tech nice. income neighborhood and um yeah. and i feel the same way about bangalore bangalore is probably one of, it is one of the richest if not the richest city in india and mm. we can't construct our own metro rail like even though yeah. we've wanted to for a long time we depend on central funding state funding and city funding to do this and when you involve so many layers it's like painful <laughs> to get anything done so the yeah, cities yeah. should have almost sway over 50 to 80% of the ec economic activity like they should be the ones getting the tax for that economic activity whereas i think the state or the center should be a far less um large influence upon city life mm. i'm assuming so i i think that you, um another concern i would have is uh you get disparate power relationships between business and small city so for example when i look for options for internet connectivity yeah mine is either it's either xfinity or i have to go wireless right i have to go kind of do verizon at home kind of thing to mobile at home yeah yeah in other words there's only one wide option and that's because our city negotiated with xfinity and xfinity is like or it was up until i think a couple of months ago like the exclusive provider for our city like very recently like you could get zipply that's um, insane so wait like yeah, the so, city of so, samamish yeah But and so what happens who these big agreed to this come in Well, that, that's the problem, right? With these small cities, that you only got to influence like one person, take them out to dinner, you know, they're good to go, right? And then you do these insane deals, and then, like, you know, Xfinity has got the process down, right? They're like, okay, we're going to come in with our standardized boilerplate template contract. You know, we've got you know four hundred lawyers. You know, how many does your small city have? One. We're going to overwhelm them, and they're just going to do what we say, and it's going to yeah. be the way we say it. You know. Um, Uh, yeah, so, I, I worry and, about that too. That's a really good point because you kind of need a balance of power. So you don't want um, a situation where companies can overwhelm all the small cities. And you kind of saw that with Uber and Lyft, right? Like mm -hmm. they overwhelmed all the cities. They overwhelmed ability. the big cities. They overwhelmed the big cities pretty easily. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I, I shouldn't say easily. It was, that was a long drawn out fight from what I've mm -hmm. read. But Mm -hmm. in there's a small idea that i think would have been interesting as a startup like if you sold an uber like software to the cities directly instead of trying to bypass them and go directly to the cars but maybe the economics of that just don't work out for people mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that is an aside i i think that's the areas where the federal government can help by creating almost like a protocol to help cities deal with such things so uh. like to To your internet point of view, um, to your the point about internet, like, dude, there should be, it should be illegal almost to do citywide monopolies. Um, it just, it's kind of but, crazy. But then the math me. doesn't work very well either, right? Like, imagine now you've got some small town with 300 people in it, and, and there's some legal obligation to make sure there's three internet providers there. Maybe what ends up happening is like, they all, do some collusion and they go, okay, we're going to basically do a deal with each other so that one of us is going to cover it. Like one of us will be the supplier and then, you know, be like a white box kind of thing. Mm. And um, you can just pick, you know, uh, your over-the-top service for that same, you know, chunk of wire. 
in in the in the UK, like when when I was a kid, they nationalized gas. Like so, up until actually they nationalized it. Sorry, it was nationalized while I was there, and then they privatized it after I left. And it's kind of weird, right? So now was that Margaret and, Thatcher, VJ? Did she do probably. it? Probably, it's the kind of thing she would do. That sounds like um, a Margaret Thatcher thing. Yeah. So so they privatized it, right? And so and it sounds great. But in practice, as best as I can tell, like the pipes are all owned by the same organization, British Gas, right? And it's like a, um, in in the wireless carrier business, in the cell phone business, right? You have these MVNOs, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, you know, they're just basically white labeling a service over the top of uh, some other, somebody else's infrastructure. So if you're buying Cricket Wireless, you're actually using um, like Verizon or somebody like that underneath. And cricket has, you know, done some some sort of deal with uh, with Verizon. In the same way with this gas situation, right? So there are these companies who will be your gas provider. But they don't and, own anything uh, underneath. They're just the user no, ex- experience, no, effectively. Yeah. So I'm not sure how you're better off as a consumer because now there's this additional layer that's sucking money out of the system. Like you know, it's, it's like capitalism is supposed to be about choice and efficiency through choice. But if they're all using the same infrastructure underneath, I don't see, like, it's like who can produce my bill most efficiently? That's what's left. <laughs> that's, yeah, right? that's so tiny. <laughs> right. That's interesting. So, Vijay, there's, these are details. I think we do need to work these out. But in principle, uh-huh. I think there are certain cities that should have almost their own governing bodies i think seattle could hold its own dude and i feel the same way about do you think there's there's like a critical mass kind of thing like okay when you when you cross a certain threshold and you become like a yeah self-governing nation city yeah you become monaco right um i I think the other thing i fear and is like you see like i've noticed this in america in particular in these in these very small towns like the sheriff will just go bonkers, man, and and do or the mayor, and they'll turn it into little dictatorships, right? And you know they'll, you know, award contracts in a way, and like it just, I feel like they could use some oversight. I feel like you would get um, sundown towns again. I think feel like would be inevitable, but for What's some a reason, sundown town. Be- Sundown towns are towns where if you are not white, you should get out of town once the sun goes down. Oh man. Okay. That's dark. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I could see that happening again, you know, um, like I, I, um, I, I don't see how you would, um, I, I don't see how you would avoid that. Like, I, I feel like, you know, you'd have these people who all, you know, live together because they have the same values, right? And those values, if they happen to be racist, you know, the same values, they all get to live together. Yeah. That's Maybe we are better off. Like, Maybe that's they should the all live together. Do I want those people spread out more and like part of the greater culture or do I want them secluded into one city? that mm. is limiting their impact on society, right? It's It's hard. Mm-hmm. Well, with that. digital society, right, like kind of physical distance is less of a barrier, right? They, they, right. Um, so it's not like they can't 
foment movements and things like yes. that. Right. But having more concentrated in one spot, I think, I think what happens is naturally they, they would tend towards wanting to expand their territory, which I think, what if cities start going to war with each other? Well, I, I think that would be one thing that I would give up to the federal government is to say these they can't have local men. They can't, the they can't, can't have local maintain militias. standing armies. Yeah, they can't have. You uh, can't. Have, well, but but maybe it solves itself, right? You go, okay, well, if we're a town of five hundred, how are we going to pay for a standing army? Actually, look, think about this: you get a, you get a city, you get a mini Trump, and he's you know, and he's just like, we got to build that wall. Yeah, just build right, the wall around, around the city. city. Build the wall around that, the city. But at the end of the day, none of this stuff works very well because they don't have any money. They're just a small city. Right? Or right, you get it this doesn't kinda, work you well get this, yet. <laughs> maybe it becomes a community thing. They all get together and they build their wall together and it becomes a community bonding thing. Oh, yeah. Right? That's uh, so nice. <laughs> Sunday building they, the wall. <laughs> yeah, it's Sunday's build the wall day, right? Mm -hmm. uh, bring your own bricks. Right, and then, um, <laughs> um, th then you can see them all in the next phase. Guys, we we got to you know we got to take this to the next level. We got to think about armaments, and then they buy a tank, right? And then they have they, a parade. They pull all their money together to build, yeah, just to get one tank, right? Like I, I remember, like when kids and I were in Mauritius uh, for our honeymoon hundreds of years ago. Um, they had like a budget that was like a few hundred thousand dollars for their defense. It was amazing. That's it was about one helicopter's worth of, of defense is what they had. Mm. Um, so um, I can see them all chipping in because they, they'll gin, you can see them like ginning themselves up, right? Like, yeah. You know, we're going to get that tank and then they buy it. And then there's no money left for schools. <laughs> so spend it all on the tank. Uh, well, the kids can learn in the tank. Uh, they can learn tank repair would probably be the okay. critical employment of the city because the, okay, they so probably bought a second-hand like, tank that's just constantly oh, breaking it, down. It'd be so great. Like just on the day they bring her into town, the, the big tank, they roll her off and there's a huge parade. It'd be great. And then once a year, they shoot the tank. They shoot some uh, whatever you launch out of tanks. What do you launch out of tanks? Shells. Yeah, yeah, it's like an anti-tank. Anti so they have a tank and they need anti-tank machinery, right? Okay, like well, to defend shoot them each other. No, um, no, of course not. But I, I also think, um, yeah, they, they probably should invest in drones first before the tank. Just my two cents on city defense. What, who you, what, would, what do you think would win, Vijay? A thousand drones uh, or one tank? Wow. I'm I'm on the thousand drones for sure. Me too. You get, you get individual people piloting those thousand drones. They could probably but figure out a way of disarming a tank. A tank. I think when you think group mentality, they would buy the tank. <laughs> you have a very impoverished view of of people in large groups. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of down on them right now. Like you, I feel like you could easily sell them on the tank, and you could disparage the drones so easily. Yeah, who wants these? You know these. These Cheap. drones are made in China. Do we trust them? You know, will it, what if the Chinese government just takes over them while we're trying to prevent an invasion? You know, so and, are and you, Lambi is, is it just yeah. me? Am I the only one worried about all, that all the drones, like DJI is, is, is Chinese? 
Like if if the U.S. goes no, to war, you know why? I, I I'm not worried about it, and I think the reason why is I feel like the technology barrier is pretty low. Like if we had to kind of arm up, we could get I, there. Very, I don't very think quickly. we could turn out drones like China can, dude. I don't think there's anyone that can turn out drones. Like if it's a drone on drone fight, China can uh, make about right. ten times as many drones. And the U.S. Look, would have I, to I start we, from. I I think we would lose round one, maybe round two. Right, but we do a bit of a war powers act. Next thing you know, there's the Ford drone, the GM drone, and then Tesla comes out with the mother of all drones. It's going to be amazing. That's Actually, true. We have Tesla promise, now. He'll promise the mother of all drones. <laughs> yeah. And by the time we're all dead, he would have delivered his first drone. Right. Oh, so, um, oh boy. Um, Little, I, I thought you were up on Tesla recently. Weren't you saying that I, Tesla was amazing? I was. Remember, I've, I've been on a. I've you been were, on, a, on a sine wave. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I come back, right? Remember, I had a diatribe early in our <laughs> podcasting careers, which I subsequently rescinded. And now maybe I'm heading in the wrong direction again. Maybe You're I'm angry in... about X. X. Have you, that irritates have you, me, uh, dude. X'd? Have you X'd recently? <sighs> I don't know what to think about it. I I haven't. I'm I'm on a I'm on a decentralized social network. I'm having a really good time. Wh- which one are you on? Uh, I need to give you an invite. It's called, um, Farcaster. It's this decentralized, uh, like anyone can host a Farcaster hub <laughs> and, yeah. and it has a client called Warpcast and so, all, all what, of the tweets. The, what, yeah. Hmm? They're not tweets, I'm assuming. They're called casts. I mean, but it's effectively okay. Twitter except uh-huh. decentralized. And so, so, so you've taken control away from from evil Elon Musk, is that what you've done? Effectively, is that the point? There's like ten thousand people on this on this social network, and it's all mm. it's a lot of crypto people, but it's a lot of um, interesting people as well. Uh, not that crypto people are not interesting. It's just you can't have a social network of all crypto people, and <laughs> there's only so yeah. much you can talk about crypto. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Send, send me an invite. I'd be curious. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you've got your city and then you're saying like the state takes a kind of backup role. It's, I guess its job is to, to help cities be more efficient, I guess. Is that what its job is? What's the job of the yeah, state? Yeah, pretty much. Is, is and it? like, I think a good model for the nation is, mm-hmm. um, you know how the internet is governed by that standards body? I think it's called like the IETS. Yeah. Uh, they they literally don't own any infrastructure, right? Like, yeah, yeah. They yeah. define HTTP. They make recommendations. Yeah. They can't even like define it, right? Because it's yeah. up to all these individual implementers. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. define SMTP. Yeah. Um, and they basically say, hey, and they have um, representatives from a lot of companies, right? Like, Facebook sends representatives. Google sends reps. Yeah. Mozilla. Mm-hmm. Mozilla sends representatives as well. I'm not saying anything anymore. I'm still scarred by lima beans. I'm, dude. We're our listeners will correct our pronunciation. I, I, I won't put it past them. So I'm, I'm, but hopefully they'll be nice about it. Um, I, I, I only know this lima bean thing because I recently gave my dad a little bit of a hard time. Um, huh. so, but anyway. I think that's an interesting model for the nation, right? Like it's, 
I can we can recommend a ton of things. And I love they provide standard protocol testing. Like they'll they'll help you with your protocol, kind of like the Bluetooth SIG too. Except yeah, I yeah, think yeah. right, like a lot of standards. That, that's worked out great, Karen. That's worked out great. I can still barely connect my headphones uh, to my. I, a bad I that you, that's a bad example. I know that you, I, you're using. Look, it, it speaks volumes that both of us are using wires today. <laughs> We're both using and, wires. And the irony is, the irony is that I'm using a wire on a Bluetooth headphone, right? On a on a Bluetooth headset. That hurts. Um, that, that hurts yeah. the, the standards body. Um, um, Bluetooth is a bad but, example um, because I I think they. They're in a hard, I guess hard space. They could issue a currency, right? Like, was, but wasn't that the whole point at the beginning, uh, albeit at the state level, right? The the, the uh, delineation between federal, uh, federal and state. Like the federal government, I don't think it was ever meant to be this big, was it? I don't think so. Like it right? feels too big. Like a hundred and two hundred million people, two fifty million people. It's like we don't have enough in common to justify having yeah. equal laws applied to all of us. And like, I made a good, like I thought was, I dug up this paper that was making such a cool point about immigration. It's like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of cities that just hate immigration, but there's a mm-hmm. lot of cities that care deeply about immigration, right? Like, and people, once they're in a city, very rarely leave to like different, there's not a lot of intercity migration once they're in. By that, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if like you immigrate with a tech background, oftentimes people just go and live in the Bay Area and they don't leave. Um, so in your world, would immigration be a, a city issue, not a state issue? Yeah. And not a federal government issue? And wow. It, so you're applying for immigration to Seattle? Yeah. And like you establish residency, you have a job there, and then you're, you're fast tracked to, you know, Seattle status maybe you can't you don't vote in federal government elections but you vote at the city level because mm-hmm. the city of seattle wants lots of immigrants because mm-hmm. we cannot hire enough people to staff the industry of seattle whereas mm-hmm. you know i would assume like el paso doesn't like the immigrants that they get so they have a very strong immigration policy now the u.s government can help with enforcing the immigration policies of each of the cities but like mm-hmm. City immigration makes a lot of sense to me. I, I I think that's really interesting. What happens with the FDA? Do we keep the FDA, the EPA, people like that? I think they make recommendations, but I think the cities need to staff their own. Like the bigger cities will staff their own people, but the smaller cities will probably just, you know, blindly just take, take the recommendation. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Right. And and environmental stuff becomes really important too, because like, I think the cities are actually where environmental issues start, right? Like they're the first level of organization where you can make a meaningful Mm -hmm. difference. If you clean up water sources, if you deal with trash in like an effective Mm -hmm. way, if you, um, ban particular, uh, you know, burning fuels, like it, Coal burning plants don't affect Seattle. They affect like Eastern United States. We don't have, Mm. at least from what I know, we don't have coal burning plants in Seattle Mm. or in the vicinity Mm. of Seattle. So we don't really care. Um, Mm. But for the people of Delhi, all the brick, Mm. the the brick uh, makers around Agra were causing like huge Mm. smog issues in Delhi. So 
you know, mm. they would care about what's going on in the vicinity. And like having legislation, strong legislation around the city, but not banning these technologies where they're not hurting people. Um, mm. That might be one way of resolving deadlocks because right now people are able to convert city issues into like nationwide issues. So they're like, Oh, this, this um, mm. city wants to ban uh, assault rifles. Like if you take guns as like the worst example, mm. who cares if Seattle wants to ban automatic rifles? Like who cares from, you know, I guess the Midwest or wherever they really love guns or even rural Washington. It's okay if Seattle bans guns because you can still own guns outside. And if you don't like it, you can leave Seattle. Um, I I just think like um, a lot of these are very practical yeah. places to yeah, ban I, I, things. I, as I think about it, and, and I look at places like like Republican states that are now really staring at climate issues and can't avoid the fact that things are changing, even though they can pretend that we have no idea why they're changing, right? Yeah. They can't avoid the fact that they are changing, right? And so they are being forced, the environment's forcing them to take action, yeah. right? So yeah, in yeah. some shape or form, they're building environmental policy. It might not be very effective, you know, environmental policy, right? Um, you know, where they're not trying to actually address the underlying root cause. I mean, but maybe this is the beginning. They're starting to act. Yeah, I think so. But I also think like the Republican states, the cities are generally democratic, right? They're they're they go for the Democrat Party. They they yeah, fly yeah. blue, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. cities in general, though, are also the more intensive. Well, I guess the agricultural pollution is real. Um. That's a tough one. I was going to say that cities generate more pollution. So if you kind of take care of the cities, mm -hmm. better. But I think per person, it's like the cities generate less pollution. So I don't know how to square that. No. Um, um, I guess in a city, you take up less space. You take up like less each space. Each person right? has less space, right? You're not driving. Right. And cities, and so, cities are the ones that need to stay solvent. So hopefully that takes care of the, yeah. the suburbia problem where through the, you know, getting property taxes, like you have to kind of have money for the city to run itself. And if a city goes bankrupt, like maybe we have like good bankruptcy protection, but like mm -hmm. I would assume the leadership, there'd be like a leadership turnover, unlike in the financial crises, maybe like city crises actually mm, result in mm. leadership being um, changed. And so the mayor and like the main governing body of the city is incentivized not to bankrupt themselves. It should have like pretty good finances. So Karen, last week we spoke about Funland, but it seems like what you're saying is you want to start your own city is, is what I'm taking away from this. Yes. I want to co-opt a city. I would rather take an established city. It's really hard to found yeah. a city, Vijay. The United yeah, States has been really lucky in the last hundred years to actually found a fair number of new, pretty vibrant cities. But um, most of the mm. world has not managed to start new cities. Like if you, I would say mm. all the cities in, in India are pretty much yeah. over 150 years old. Isn't, isn't aren't places like Gurgaon like relatively new? It's basically Delhi, right? 
Is it not? No, but it's kind of right at the edge. It's far outside, like kind of downtown. Earlier. Satellite cities are easier to found, yes. But like, so maybe I'm that's talking, what I can't just go middle to of middle of nowhere, start a city. Like Vegas yeah. is a like Vegas, historical yeah. anomaly. Or, it's like incredible. Yeah. Or, or Phoenix. Right? Uh, not, none of these cities make sense. They shouldn't exist. Like, why were they like, okay, right here? Right here. Let's do it. Let's found a city. It's, Who needs it's impressive. It's, it's a little bit stupid, but you know, yeah, it is what it is. Um, if you're ready to start a city, um, or take over a city, I feel like Seattle would be a good target. Like it feels like they're pretty, mit- pretty militant down there. It'd be a great, like be- yeah. But It'd be I think a great city to take up. over. Yeah. Well, so I think you'd have a willing uh, a a section of the population that would be really open to this. You know, the kind of uh, Antifa type folks. But then I think they'd run into the same problem that the Taliban would run into, which is, okay, you've won, but now you actually have to govern. And I don't know if they're equipped well to govern. Yeah, we'll see. Well. I think this is a question for our, our listeners. One weird thought, uh, our one weird thought listeners. If you have ideas of cities that you think we could co-opt into the one weird thought movement, or you are in a position of power at one of these cities that you think is ripe for some one weird thought, uh, email us at oneweirdthought at gmail.com or uh, DM us on Instagram because we, we have a one weird thought Instagram handle now. Um, and with that, uh, till next time, VJ. Yeah. Yeah. It was great catching up, Kieran. I uh, really yeah. enjoyed today's topic. Good stuff. Uh, thanks everybody.